All right, if you've got your Bible, Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13 is our text this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series called Illusions. We started this last week as we're looking at some of the stories or parables that Jesus tells uh, that show us re- reality really is. You know, we've talked about the fact that often we think we know it's true. Uh, we're, we're convinced that life is a certain way, but, but Jesus has a way in the parables of actually exposing the illusions we have in life. And this morning, we're going to look at what I'm calling the illusion of the external here in Matthew chapter 13 as we look at the parable of the sower. If you're able to stand, I will ask you to do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. This is the weekly reminder that I have no authority. Uh, the only authority in this place is God and His Word. Amen? All right, so let's read His Word, Matthew 13, verse 1. It says, The same day Jesus went out of the house and He sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Birds came along and devoured them. Other seeds fell along rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now look at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, endures for a while. But when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown on the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, I ask now that you would uh, come by your Spirit and open our eyes to see. We need to see our lives clearly. I don't want anyone in this room to be deceived or under an illusion. And we can't see that on our own, so we need your Spirit to come and open eyes. To the glory of Jesus' name and in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. His, uh, his name was Peter Popoff. He was a famous faith healer. And he would travel around and he would put together all these big crusades and, and large gatherings and all kinds of people would come and gather. There would be crowds and crowds of people. And what he was particularly known for was his ability to call people out of the audience He would know their name and their physical problem. You know, he'd say something like, there's a woman in section A, her name's Sally, 
row 12, seat three, who has back problems. And sure enough, there was a Sally in section A, row 12, seat three, with back problems. He was right every time. And people were amazed. That was until one evening at one of his crusades, an ABC News reporter came, and he noticed something interesting. He noticed that Mr. Popoff was wearing what looked to be a hearing aid. Now, it does cause one to wonder why a faith healer would need a hearing aid. Just think about that. That's kind of like going to a dentist with no teeth. You know, it just uh, doesn't didn't quite make sense. You know, there's something wrong with this picture. But it ended up, it wasn't a hearing aid. It was actually a radio receiver. The next night, the ABC News reporter brought a scanner and listened in to the conversation between Mr. Popoff and his wife. See, evidently she was out at the front taking prayer requests on cards. And she would scan them And she would pick certain people out and she would watch to see where they would sit down. And then she would relay that information to her husband. Well, they recorded the whole conversation, played it on national television, and Peter Popoff's ministry, you might say, popped off. (laughs) But for a while, everything looked real. I mean, there were all kinds of people. They were amazed. It was just an incredible experience, and everybody thought, this is so authentic. This is so amazing. This is so of God, but it turned out fake, which raises the question, how do you know when something's real or not? It's not always easy to tell, is it? Take, for instance, these Nike Air Jordans. One of them is real. One of them is fake. Little game show here. Show of hands. How many of you say A is real? How many of you say B is real? How many of you have absolutely no idea? Thank you for your honesty. And the answer is A is fake. But boy, don't they look so similar? Little difference. What about, here we go, ladies, diamond rings. Here we go. One is real. One is not. How many of you, and guys, you can participate as well. Show of hands, how many of you say A is real? How many of you say B is real? How many of you still don't know? Slackers. The answer is A is fake. But man, they look so similar, don't they? I mean, if you just look at the external appearance, you would say, I really can't tell that much of a difference. You see, all of us have experienced that thing where from the outside it looked authentic, but it ended up not being real, like pro wrestling. You know? Sorry to break that to some of you. You know? Or, or certain Christmas figures. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to spoil that for some of you, you know? You know, or Hot Pockets. Like, that's not, that's totally not real food. It's totally not real. I don't know what it is. Uh, um, uh, reality TV shows, ironically, are not real. You, you, Terry Foss's hair, not real. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, just after the service, go find him and just pull on it. You'll see. But we've all experienced things that meant from the, from the outside, it looks so real, but it ends up not being real. 
And the bigger question is, how do you know when a follower of Jesus is real or not? How do you know? Do they wear the t-shirt? Lord's Gym, and I got a fish on my car, and Chris Tomlin in my, you know, iPad, or whatever. Is that what a Christian looks like? How do you know? Matthew 13 gives us the answer. Jesus in this parable shows us what a genuine, authentic response to Jesus is. And he also shows us, listen, Brian, that sometimes what you see is not what you get. Sometimes the external is an illusion. Notice the text here. You've got to get the context to really get the point of the parable, verse 2. And great crowds were gathered about him. Get that imagery. It's very important. So that he got into a boat. So the crowds were so much, he has to get into a boat and, and, be, and sit down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. So imagine with me, this massive, suffocating crowd is around Jesus. Now, we're used to crowds. You know, we've got them all of America. I'd rather have my teeth pulled as to shop there sometimes. Uh, we, we go, we've got the Minnesota State Fair. Big crowds. Really? Uh, you got concerts and games and all that type of stuff. I mean, we're around crowds all the time, but this is Galilee. I mean, it would be like me saying large crowds were gathered in Elko New Market, Minnesota. <laughs> Your response would be like, what? Why? That doesn't make sense. Large crowds in Elko New Market? No. Well, that's exactly what we should think when we come to this text. Why in the world are so many people gathered by the sea? Here's the answer. At the end of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, All you who are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus destroys the Pharisees in a debate about the Sabbath because they didn't really understand the Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 12, a man with a withered hand is healed by Jesus. Also, there's a man who's possessed by demons, who's blind and mute, and Jesus casts the demon out and heals the man. So when you come to chapter 13, this crowd is gathered around listening to Jesus. Why? Because we got a hand healing, demon casting out, Pharisee rebuking man who promises rest. I'm in. I'd follow that. I'd buy a ticket to that. And the disciples are amazed with the crowd, but Jesus realizes that there's a lot of different reasons why they're there. Some of them are curious. Some of them are skeptical. Some of them want to see another miracle. Some want to have another debate. Let's get into theology debate with the Pharisees. Some believe he's the Messiah. Some are simply tired and want rest. And the truth is, as I look around at, at so many of you in this service this morning, there's a lot of different reasons why we're here as well. For some of you, it's Sunday. You just go to church on Sunday. For some of you, you lost the bet. For some of you, you're trying to find a date and you hope the church could help out. For some of you, you hear what's going on at Brian and all the awesome things, and you're like, man, i got to check this church out. Some of you love Jesus, and you love gathering with his people to worship him. But make no mistake, there's a lot of different reasons represented in the crowd. 
And just because you're a part of the crowd that's following Jesus doesn't mean you're following Jesus. The external can be an illusion. Sometimes what you see is not what you get. And so Jesus has all this crowd around, and he tells the story, verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. Now, we've already read the verses after that. It's a very common imagery for those who were listening to Jesus. Jesus tells about a sower who went out into the field and he sowed seed. Now, don't think Iowa fields. Okay, that, this is not the imagery uh, that people would be looking around and seeing, okay? Uh, in the ancient Near East, uh, this would have been a very hilly, rocky, dry environment. In fact, many people would walk through fields to avoid public roads. Sometimes it was just safer to do that. And so they would wear like, you know, three foot wide paths that were very, very hard because people would just walk that over and over again. There was a limestone rock underneath the, the soil. And so when you would start cultivating the soil, you would dig up lots of rock. There were natural weeds and thorns that would always fight against the seed. It was a very, very difficult farming environment. A really good farmer that could get out the rocks and get out the weeds and get out all of that could have some good soil and have a nice harvest. Now, that's very common for the people listening to Jesus. But now here's the, here's the imagery. All these people are just following Jesus. They've seen all these miracles. They're gathered around and Jesus says, come here close. Come here. I'm going to tell you something profound. A sower went out to sow and some seed fell here and some seed fell there, and some seed fell here, and some seed fell there. He who has an ear, let him hear. That's it? That's all you're giving me? Like, that's the worst ending to a movie ever. Like, if I were watching that movie, I would say, give me my money back. That's a terrible ending. It's like my, 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 my children, you know, daddy tells the best stories in our home and my kids love to ask me, tell me a bedtime story, tell me a bedtime story. Sometimes I got to be honest with you, just real honest, I, I'm tired. I don't want to tell a bedtime story. And so like I'll take my little girl and I'll say, okay, once upon a time there was a little girl who needed to go to sleep, the end. <laughs> and her response is always, that's not a story. That's totally not a story. That's not what I'm here for. I want a real story. All these crowds are gathered around, and Jesus says, A sower went out, he sowed some seed. Here he who has an ear, let him hear. The disciples can't take it. Notice verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now listen, that's formed in a question, but sometimes questions are not really questions, they're statements. Like when your wife looks at you and says, you're not really going to wear that shirt with those pants, are you? That's not a question. That's a statement about your awful fashion. Go change. Or like when your kid comes to you and they're like, daddy, 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 have I ever told you? Have I ever told you? You're the best daddy ever. That's not a question. That is a statement with financial implications. Sometimes it's worded like a question, but it's really not a question. It's really a statement. The disciples here are not saying, would you please give us a, a hermeneutical dialogue about the relevance of story? No. They're saying, Jesus, you're wasting an opportunity. Don't you see the crowd? 
Don't you see how awesome this is? We could start something here. But Jesus needs to teach the disciples that sometimes what you see is not what you get. See, the context here is the disciples are all about the crowd and Jesus is all about the heart because Jesus realizes that external participation does not mean internal transformation. So Jesus explains to the disciples what the parable means. Now, the sower is Jesus. The seed is the Word of God, the Gospel. And Jesus says, as the Word goes out, there are four kinds of responses that come back. Now listen, Bree, and look at me here. I told you last week that our prayer in this series is open our eyes to see the truth. Amen? But that may hurt. This is one of the most convicting texts in the Bible. So you need to put your seatbelt on. It's going to get really, really close to heart, which is actually the whole point. Jesus says the first response that you will sometimes get is what we might call a calloused heart. Look at verse 18 and 19. Hear then the parable of the sower. So here's what it means. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, that is the word that Jesus is, is giving, and does not understand it, that is they reject it. Just go back to where Jesus quotes Isaiah a few verses earlier. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. In other words, Jesus says, as the word goes out, as I'm speaking truth, as I'm proclaiming the gospel, the seed goes out and it hits hard ground. That path, it's very, very, very worn down. And the immediate response is rejection. They don't want anything to do with God. They don't have any room for Jesus in their life. They don't believe in the gospel whatsoever. You've shared with some of them, and they were quick to tell you, I don't want anything of what you're telling me. Some of these people sit under preaching week after week after week, and they're completely unmoved. All they're thinking about is this afternoon. All they're thinking about is getting their fantasy football team together before the season starts or going up north. They're certainly not thinking about the eternal destiny of their soul. The seed goes out, but it encounters the path that is people who reject what Jesus is offering. Now, we might be quick to think, yeah, I know, this is the heathen drunkard with like a 666 tattoo on their body. I would submit to you it's the moral dad who loves his family and might even teach a Bible study. You see, I think who Jesus is ultimately referring to in this example are the Pharisees. Why do you say that? Because Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is doing all these amazing things. And do you know what they say? This man is not of God. He does works of Beelzebul. That is, he does the works of Satan. Who are the ones who had hearts so hard they would not receive him for who he was? It wasn't the heathen pagan. It was the religious Pharisee. And I am on a campaign in my ministry to preach so that those in this place who are in religion would be saved out of religion to Jesus. 
Because for a lot of us, sometimes we get so caught up in the religiosity of life and the routine of religion that we fail to see that our heart is nothing more than plucking ground for birds. And let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you, listen, religion is no threat to Satan. It's just an easy meal. It's a really easy meal. Because your heart is so hard by what you do that you wouldn't dare surrender to what Jesus has done for you. Spurgeon says this. Would it be a sermon if I didn't quote Spurgeon? How sad to have the sun of the gospel shining on your faces and yet have blind eyes to never see the light. The music of heaven upon you and you have no ears to hear. You sit at a marriage feast, but you eat not. Though we plead with you and pray for you and weep over you, you still remain as hardened, careless, and as thoughtless as ever you were. You see a crowd. I see this. It's not the only response Jesus says. Look at verse 20 of what we might call the challenged heart. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who what? Hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet it has no root in himself. But it endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So Jesus says there's another type of soil out there, and it's a soil. Remember we talked about the, the limestone, the, all the rocks that would be in the soil? Jesus said when the seed falls on that, it's received for a moment with joy, with emotion. There's a quick response but it doesn't last very long. You see, this is the response that's like, man, that miracle was awesome. Did you see that whole guy with the withered hand? You, did you see the guy with the demon? Yeah, the whole demon thing? That was incredible. Show me again, Jesus. Show me again. I mean, they're excited. I mean, they love the pastor's sermon. Just play along, okay? They love, man, the worship was incredible at church today. Man, youth camp. Oh, it was the greatest experience I've ever had in my life. Man, that mission trip was like a spiritual high. And they're excited for a while. They got the goosebumps. They even shed a few tears. They even walked an aisle. They even prayed with a pastor. They even got wet. They even started coming to church for a while. Everything looked real until college. Until the medical report. Until the boyfriend called it off. Until the casket was closed. Until you found out that following Christ in a Christless world doesn't come with a package full of benefits. And all of a sudden, that once enthusiastic faith is gone. Why? Jesus says, because when you look at the crowd, listen, there's a lot of people here that they don't want a king. What they want is another miracle, and what they hope is another debate. 
You see the crowd. You see the external. But there are people who will respond in the moment, but it doesn't take root in their heart. Now listen to me. As your pastor who takes seriously the shepherding this flock in the Word of God, American Christianity has watered down the offer of the Gospel. It is, do you want to go to heaven? Given the alternative. Just check this card. Just pray this prayer. Just invite Jesus into your heart and you're in. David Platt says this, it is modern evangelism built on sinking sand that runs the risk of disillusioning millions of souls. That is not the offer of the gospel in the Bible. The offer of the gospel in the Bible is, do you want to follow Jesus? And if so, repent of the direction your life is headed and turn by faith and follow him for the rest of your life. Take up a cross and follow him. And in taking up that cross, that's where you find life. It is not anybody that wants to go to heaven, just jump on board. I've, I've hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. I have, I've talked to so many parents, particularly in, in seasons where I was a student pastor, and they would say, listen, I know I've seen no fruit whatsoever from my child in the last 10, 20 years, but I was there when little Johnny raised his hand when the pastor said, does anybody want to go to heaven? And I would be really concerned, in fact, would, would recommend counseling to any 7, 8, 10-year-old who didn't want to go to heaven. Now, I believe God has, and I believe God will save people at a young age. Amen? Happened in my life, happened in some of your life, but make no mistake, there will be people in hell who wanted a guarantee, not Jesus who wanted a new life resolution, not true biblical repentance. Yes, they were willing to raise their hand, but they were unwilling to surrender their life. Jesus says, oh, you'll, it'll look real on the outside. Just give it time. We'll find out, did the seed take root in the heart? Here's the third. I told you this was going to be tough, right? Number three, verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So Jesus says, listen, disciples. Man, come here. You've got to understand. You're all consumed in this. Look at the crowds. It's awesome. But you don't see that in the crowd that there's also when the seed goes out, it lands on soil that is consumed with thorns and, and weeds. And, and what that does is it tends to choke out any of that immediate response that might happen. In other words, these are the people that would say this. Look right here. Life is a buffet and Jesus just happens to be on the menu. I want Jesus, and I also want to be popular at school. I want Jesus, and I also want this unhealthy relationship. I want Jesus, and I want everything the world has to offer. But Jesus is not interested in part-time disciples. 
He's, listen, Christianity is not a part-time occupation. And yes, we are at all different levels of our Christian journey, but you're either in or you're out. There is no middle. Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. Why? Because you're going to end up at the end of the day loving one and hating the other. When you say, I have godly ambition and worldly ambition together, what you've done is put a spiritual noose around your neck because eventually your passion for the world will choke out any seeming passion for God. I know this is hard, but look, can I just, it was like just a moment of, I need to share this in the last service, and I'm going to share it with you this morning. I struggle a lot as a pastor sometimes. Like, I, you'd be amazed the spiritual warfare I go through when I walk off this stage. I mean, the enemy hits me, you were too strong on that, or what are people going to think about that? And, and, and man, I just, I've just been so convicted that you know what? Jesus is drawing the line here, not me. And it is so, man, it's so easy as a pastor. We're growing. We've had to add a fourth service. And it's so easy for me to get consumed and look at the crowd as opposed to where are the disciples? Where are the people who are ready? And listen, we're, again, we're at different levels. Yes, I know that. We all struggle. But, but I'm talking about an army at Berean who, regardless of where we're at, have at least made this thing clear. I'm in. I'm in. That's what this is about. That's what Jesus is teaching the disciples here. There can be no rival in your life when it comes to Jesus. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your job, nothing. Because the genuine response to the gospel is not Jesus and, it's Jesus only. The disciples see a crowd, Jesus says, no, 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 that's an illusion. It's an illusion. Sometimes what you see is not what you get because the gospel has to go deeper than the external. Amen? The gospel, the word of God, receiving Jesus has to go deeper than just an, an external response. And that's what Jesus teaches in verse 23. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. That means receives it. And indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold and in another 60 and in another 30. So Jesus says, but also represented in the crowd is this good, rich soil. And unlike the hard path, it receives the word. And unlike that of the rocky ground, it, it, it endures. It doesn't just start for a little bit and then when a little pressure comes, gives up. It keeps going. And it's not like the, th the thorny ground that, that responds for a moment but, but really wants not a king but a miracle worker. This soil sees Jesus for who he is, loves him, wants to worship him. Why? Because the seed has created a new plant. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. 
Everywhere George Whitfield would go, he would say, you must be born again, you must be born again, you must be born again. And finally somebody said, would you stop saying that? That's all you say. Why do you say that all the time? Because you must be born again. That's real. It's about life change, folks. It's about the fruit of the gospel in your life. It's not Jesus in an add-on. It's Jesus is enough. And that creates a whole new life for you. And, and listen, folks, this is, this is fruit. This is fake. This is in it for the long haul. This gets really emotional in the short run. Christianity is about life change, which means Christianity is for life. It's not a here one day and gone the next. It is about bearing fruit because you cannot be in the true vine and not bear fruit. It's impossible. You say, well, what about the criminal on the cross? He didn't bear fruit. He died like pretty quickly after he received Jesus. Yeah, but the fruit is he received Jesus. Authentic Christianity is about fruitfulness and perseverance. Now, how many of you would agree with me that, that this right here comes with a share of struggles? Man, do you, if you have good soil, you got to fight the rocks, and you got to fight the weeds, and there are ups, and there are down, downs, and you are strong, and times you are weak. Listen, this isn't just, you know, life is always grand. It's a challenge, but you endure by the grace and the power of God because he's changed your life forever. Listen to how Paul describes it in Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Did you see the change there? You who were once alienated and hostile in mind or what? Presented holy and blameless and above reproach. And then the phrase, if Indeed, you continue in the faith. Why? Because real faith keeps going. It's about fruitfulness and it's about perseverance. Listen, these are not three people that were Christians and lost their salvation. These are not three backslidden Christians. One is an unbeliever, one is a believer, and these two are make-believers which is ultimately an unbeliever. This is what authentic Christianity looks like. So we end this morning by just saying this. Which one are you? You look really awesome on the outside. I have no idea what's on the inside. The disciples say, look at the crowd. Jesus says, this is what I see. I wonder this morning what your heart is really about. Rejecting emotion once the world and Jesus or your heart has come to the point to say, I 
surrender, not to a miracle worker, not to a great theologian, to a king and a savior. And one last little encouragement before we close. I had a man come up to me after the first service and he was so encouraged by this message and I was like, really? (laughs) It's good to hear. And he said, because pastor, I've been sharing my faith for the last few years and I feel like I'm seeing a lot more of this than this. And I just said, brother, just sow seed. The kingdom of God is not dependent upon your vocabulary skills or your persuasive ability, just sow seed. So when you go to school, when you go to work, when you go to the cities, when you're in the South Metro, just sow seed. Let God do the work of heart change. In Matthew 13, a crowd was gathered, the word went out, and there were a lot of different responses. Now look at me. This morning, a crowd is gathered, the word has gone out. What is your response? And if this morning you would be honest and you would say, Pastor, my heart is like the path, it's hard. Then I ask you to look to the one who walked the path of Calvary. You'd say, Pastor, I'm going to be honest, my heart is filled with all kinds of rocks. Would you look to the one who has a history of rolling stones away? Pastor, I'm going to be honest. I got thorns that are choking my heart. Would you look to the one this morning who wore a crown of thorns? Because he died and he rose again, he's the only one who can give you new life. And in a world that promises you a whole bunch of fake, that's the one thing you can count on being real. Let's pray. God, I need you to do the work of divine illumination. I see smiling faces, you see hearts. And I do not want the response this morning to be anything about a service or a sermon, but about a Savior. Would your Spirit go now through the crowd and destroy illusions of the external? Capture hearts and bring new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.